Welcome back to another episode of Tooling Talks. I'm your host, Chris, and I'm excited to share this episode with you. This past month, I was able to sit down with Jeremy Smith and talk notebooks, something I've been wanting to focus an episode on for a while. If you're familiar at all with notebooks in Scala, you're probably aware of Polynote, which was primarily written by Jeremy and was the focus of our discussion. It was a pleasure to have him share his thoughts about notebook usage, building a new notebook, and some of the troubles and decisions he faced during the process. So without further ado, let's dive in, and thanks for joining. All right, so welcome back to another episode of Tooling Talks, and today I'm very happy to welcome Jeremy with me. Jeremy, do you want to take a moment and just introduce yourself to the audience? Uh, Sure. I'm Jeremy Smith. Uh, I work on the machine learning platform team at Netflix. Um, Yeah, and I started the Polynote project. Nice. And how long have you been doing Scala? Uh, Gosh, probably about 10 years. Uh, Okay. And what were you doing before those 10 years? Uh, before that, I was working with mostly PHP, actually. Uh, I was working on okay. a content management system. Uh, and that's where I start. That's where I picked up Scala. Uh, I, I okay. was, uh, you know, I wanted to get a more compiled experience and have a, you know, something that would check the code before I, before I actually tried running it. Because, you know, the PHP workflow is kind of like edit, reload, edit, reload. Um and uh, it gets it gets tedious, so that's kind of why I started looking for a compiled language with a with a type system. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to do async stuff also, uh, so that combination of things kind of led me to Scala. Okay, and even earlier before that, how did you get started in programming? Is it something you were always interested in, or something that you first like ran into at college, or even after that? No, it's uh, I I got into it. Uh, because of my dad, he's a longtime programmer. Um, so when I was a kid, uh, we got this magazine, like a science magazine for kids called Three Two One Contact Magazine, uh, and they would print like basic listings in the in the back of the magazine. Uh, and my dad, okay. my dad showed us how to like type those into GW Basic in MS DOS, mm-hmm. you know, and run whatever the thing was that week. It was things like uh, guessing games and stuff. Uh, hmm. So, and then, you know, from there, you know, that I was probably seven or eight at that time. And then a couple of oh, years wow. later, uh, I got more into it. There was, at that point, there was QBasic. Uh, it was like a leap forward in basic technology. Um, and I just got mostly interested in, like, I wanted to make games. I think that's how a lot of people get into programming as a kid. Uh, so mm-hmm. I would you know, just sit there and try to learn how to do stuff. And just, I would kept bugging my dad, like he would be trying to get some work done on the weekend. And I would just go in every five minutes, dad, how do you do this? How do you do that? How do you do this? <laughs> um, and he was very patient with me and uh, answered all my questions. And that's kind of how I got started. It's really cool. Sometimes I think of in the future, if I ever have children thinking about like, will they like programming or not? Will they, as they learn, will they come to me with questions and will we be able to talk about things we both enjoy and stuff? So yeah, that's really neat to to talk about. So I'm excited to chat a little bit about notebooks, especially Polynote, because notebooks are something that I don't know a ton about. Uh, I also find, and and maybe you'll agree or not with this, that I feel like the general developer that's using notebooks sometimes is very different than the general developer that's not using notebooks. And like that's obvious maybe, but 
at least where I work, a lot of the times the people that are using uh, notebooks are not the ones that are like developing applications day to day necessarily. They may be doing more data science type stuff or yeah, they, they just their day to day looks very different. So I'm excited to learn a little bit more from the other side because I don't use notebooks on, on the day to day like ever. Like I don't think I've for like work purposes, I honestly don't think I've ever actually used a mm-hmm. notebook. So I'm excited to like learn more about that world and then also how yeah either tooling coincides with it or even some of the tooling that we have in the non-notebook world could be utilized in a notebook world and vice versa so for people that are not aware of even just like what notebooks are could you give like a short rundown of just like this is what a notebook is this is how you use it this is who typically uses it that sort of thing sure so uh a notebook is is sort of like a document with uh code blocks interspersed that are like runnable code uh, inside the document. Uh, so I think kind of like a REPL or like a worksheet, um, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, rather than line by line, you can go back and edit code that you already wrote and run it again. Uh, and it's a kind of a way to iteratively uh, often look at data or do some kind of analysis uh, and you know, another thing setting it apart from like a REPL or a worksheet is the the code that you write can uh, output more interesting uh, visual stuff like plots or, you know, interactive mm-hmm. visualizations or HTML or things like that. Yeah. I mean, I, and this is maybe taking a step back to what I said earlier, because I realized I asked it and then just moved on to another question. But do you think that notebooks are sort of underutilized in, in day-to-day like development for, for developers that maybe aren't doing more data science stuff? Like, is there is there things that, yeah, you, you think we could be using notebooks more for? I mean, I think it really shines for data applications. Uh, you know, anybody who's mm-hmm. ever used uh, a REPL, you know, to to do some quick computation or, uh, you know, gone into a, a SQL client and written a query and gotten back some results. Like that's kind of notebookish almost already. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's kind of just yeah. builds on that kind of experience uh, and brings a little more to it. Um, so I think it really yeah. shines where there's data to be, uh, to be worked with. Um, you know, as far as other kinds of day-to-day programming, I'm not sure it would be super useful for like, somebody who's writing a web app or something. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, everybody's got, uh, everybody needs to work with data sometimes. And so it's a real, uh, it's a nice way to just jump in and be productive right away when you're doing that. It's a nice t- tool to have in the old tool yeah, belt. Yeah. Uh, so one of the common questions I'm sure you get, and I watched some of your videos to like prepare for this and uh, you even address it like right away is why make another notebook when we're starting to talk about Polynote? Because there are things like Jupyter out there and with Almond and Zeppelin, Mathematica, which yeah, I, I feel like maybe those latter two are less used for Scala developers than, than the Almond kernel. But uh, yeah, like why did you start Polynote and like what's the history behind it? Yeah, so it was kind of, it was mostly born out of frustration with the existing tools. Um, so, you know, I, I work on the machine learning platform. We work with a lot of scientists and they're using mm-hmm. some mix of Scala and Python to do most of their work. Uh, and a lot of them using notebooks, uh, you know, for exploration and things like that. Um, Mm. and I like, maybe I'm just really spoiled, but I find, uh, that like IDE to me is kind of important, especially for Scala or at least having, you know, good, 
completions uh, and parameter hints and things like that. I find it really helpful. Yeah. Um, and just the that felt really missing to me. Uh, and there were just other various paper cuts with the other tools that we had available. So it was like a choice between uh, Jupiter with the Tori kernel. So Almond wasn't where it, you know, at that point, it wasn't where it is now. Um, okay. And uh, we were using this kernel called Tori, which was already abandoned at, at that point, I think. Um, and uh, had a lot of problems, didn't always work very well for our for our uses. Um, and Zeppelin was another choice, but, uh, you know, it it, it uh, also had some uh, weird quirks that made it difficult to use sometimes. And both of those things are, are built on the Scala REPL, uh, which has a really weird and interesting way of, you know, wrapping your code in, you know, weird, deep inner classes of inner classes uh, that can make for some yeah. really fun error messages when things don't work. So there's just like, like a lot of little paper cuts and frustrations, um, but mostly it was like the completions and stuff. And I found myself grumbling about yeah. it. And at, at one point I said to myself, like, uh, you know, if you think you have a right to complain about tools that uh, other people have made, then why don't you see how you can do at it? Sort of like put up or shut up almost uh yeah so uh yeah i just uh i started hacking something together just to see how hard it was basically um and i figured okay. while i was doing that i might i might try to uh address some of the other big problems that uh that notebooks had at the time yeah and i think you brought this up in one of your your talks but you also mentioned that before you even decided to like just dive into making a new notebook you also looked at potentially having some type of like intellij plugin or integration first that would yeah tie into the existing stuff that intellij can already mm -hmm. do and then add in the missing parts like but that didn't happen obviously so like what was sort what what happened there like why didn't that work well yeah i mean uh one reason is i'm just not very good with the uh intellij apis uh the plugin apis i struggled with that a little bit mm -hmm. uh but i did actually kind of get a rough prototype at one point for a hack day um, of like an IntelliJ plugin, kind of working, not really uh, as good as I would have wanted it to be. Um, like I couldn't mm -hmm. get all the nuances of making it recognize how, how the cells uh, related to each other and such. Um, but yeah. the, the, the bigger problem that I ran into was what do you do with output of those cells? So, when you're in a notebook, there's a lot of different sort of rich, heterogeneous output that you want to work with or you want to see uh, as a result of the code you're writing. Uh, so you get to a point where it's like, well, you can either uh, basically write a full-on scriptable browser in Java or go the other way and kind of embed the front end of this thing into a web uh, a web-based app. Uh, so going the other way seemed kind of just easier. Uh, hmm. Does IntelliJ have like a headless mode? I mean, I've, I'm not an IntelliJ user, so this might be a super obvious answer, but does IntelliJ have like a headless mode that you could have maybe from the browser used as a backend or something? Or I mean, is that even a possibility, I guess? Like just an engine rather? You know, I don't know. Like a, an engine to uh, just to do the completions and stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I I don't know. I I like I said, it, there IntelliJ is a, a, a vast, expansive product, and it was uh, 
Yeah. You know, there's only so so far I was willing to dig into it before kind of pivoting yeah. to something else. Yeah, for sure. And I think too, in in one of your talks, too, you mentioned that, that that they were coming out with at the time potentially something that was notebook like, and from digging around the JetBrains website, from what I could understand, it's probably data lore. If that was if that's correct, have you played around with that at all since then? Because I'm assuming data lore didn't exist back then when you started that. And does data lore sort of try to address some of the same things? Right. It, it so it didn't exist back then. Um, they've had a couple iterations. Uh, lately at kind of notebook products. Um, I think data Lord mm -hmm. maybe the, is the latest one. Uh, you know, I think Polynote is still pretty different to that. Like that's mainly a Jupiter enhancement. Uh, but, okay. uh, to be honest, if that had existed at the time, I probably wouldn't have started Polynote because gotcha. I think it probably does okay. scratch a lot of the itches that I was feeling at the time. So looking back at like when you started Polyno and sort of like the list of things that you had, like you, you mentioned that there was a bunch of smaller issues that you were trying to fix, but one of the big ones was sort of tooling support of like completions, like the nice IDE like experience. Looking back, are you satisfied with like where it's come from there? Like, do you feel like you checked off the list? Like, yes, great editor support or completions and, and those types of things. Uh, I think it's, uh, it works pretty well. Uh, you know, the potential is certainly there. Uh, the, the editor we're using, mm -hmm. Monaco, certainly supports all the things that we would want to do. Uh, you know, the, the yeah. devils in the implementation, uh, it's, uh, it's, not, it's not as great as it could be. There's a lot of things that are missing. Uh, it would be nice to, to make it better. Yeah. But I think the potential is definitely there. So Monaco was something interesting that I wanted to talk about, especially like with myself working on Metal so much and, and knowing the VS Code extension a little bit. I'm curious, how are some of these things powered in Polynode actually? Like completion, because when you talk about like completions, and I noticed when I was playing around with Polynode, even uh, like, I mean, in, in LSP world, we call them like symbols where like your the occurrences of things are highlighted as you're hovering on them. So a, a lot of these things are very LSP like, like how, how are they implemented in, in Polynode? Are they using the presentation compiler directly with Scala or are they powered with something else or, or how does that yeah, work? Yeah, the, the completions and hints are all based on the presentation compiler. Um, so okay. the presentation compiler plus uh, a whole lot of bespoke hacky code uh to to work with the presentation okay. compiler which is a surprisingly difficult thing to do um but that's how and so that that yes. powers the completions and the hints uh everything else is basically comes for free with monaco so a lot of that stuff that you're seeing like the highlighting yeah. of symbols that's yeah. all uh built-in front-end monaco stuff i think but the highlighting of symbols, is it still calculated by the presentation compiler and just given to, to Monaco? Or like, is it semantic information that it's highlighting? Or is it just, this is the same words? So I think it's it. probably the latter. Yeah, we're not, we're not, uh, the, ah, okay. so, okay. so uh, we're just using the presentation compiler to get completions and, and hints. That's pretty much it. Okay. Which then also means if you want to add Scala 3 support, you need to basically rewrite yep. it. Yeah, that's uh, someday, someday that's going to happen. Okay. Has there, I'm actually, do you know if, if some of the other notebooks, like you mentioned that they use the REPL, for example, uh, and thinking about completions, like even the REPL itself uses the presentation compiler to power completions. Are they hooking onto that? Like, or how, do you know if those, some of those other ones, like like Jupiter or for specifically Almond, I guess, are they also using the, like the presentation compiler for completions then as well? Or? I would uh, expect that they hook into the, 
the REPL's completion mechanism. Uh, so that's okay. already kind of pre-baked. Uh, but uh, I'll have to qualify that because I'm not sure. I haven't really looked. Sure. Yeah, the reason I ask, and yeah, this is something I really like chatting about sometimes too, is and it's 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 still amazing to me sometimes when you look at the different tools around the ecosystem that have all almost like re-implemented very similar things, like even completions. Like I can probably think of like four or five different uh, tools off the top of my head that all have their own like integration with the presentation compiler right. to get to get completions. And it's always funny too, because every time you talk to somebody about it, they always have the same answer of like, yeah, but it's super hacky working with the presentation yeah. compiler kind of sucks. It's, yeah. So it's funny to hear you say that yeah, as well. It's a rough, it's a rough thing to work with. Uh, I think it's, I've certainly found a lot of ways in which it doesn't work very well, uh, which, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. no offense to uh, the people that are behind the presentation compiler. It's also, I think uh, I'm, I'm, not super happy to admit this, but we're actually using a lot of Scala 2.11 still because, uh, you know, for okay. various enterprise Spark reasons. Uh, so, you know, to the extent that things are better in future, you know, more recent versions of Scala, um, you know, I, I, I haven't seen that very much because mainly I'm working with, with 2.11 for the time being. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the reason that Monaco caught my eye too, because if I understand it correctly, it's basically like a VS Code engine as well, which then would allow you to utilize some VS Code extensions. So I'm curious, has it ever been explored to just let metals power, power, power cells basically, like power all of the input or like uh, the the IDE like features in a in a Scala language cell? Yeah, you know, uh, I think that's a great idea. I've actually talked to Olaf about that a couple of times um, over the years. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, you know, one thing he suggested that we explored is maybe try and integrate with M tags, which is, you know, the, an internal component of metals that is kind of the layer over the yep. presentation compiler. Um, and I think that yeah, would exactly. be a really great first step because we've kind of, basically we've implemented a much crummier version of M tags, uh, probably. Okay. So, uh, that would be really cool. The, the thing that threw me when I went to, to look into that was, uh, uh, M tags kind of wants this semantic DB information. I wasn't sure how I was going to, you know, build all of that stuff and, uh, and ship it to M tags for the, for the dependencies, uh, and everything. Mm -hmm. So that kind of threw me there. And then metals and M tags, they kind of want files on disc or at least like complete source files to work with. Um, yeah. and we don't really have, so, so what, Polynote does is we just parse uh, we parse the the cell uh, not as a source file but like as a script file which means it doesn't have to be you know everything is not in a class and uh, it can kind of just yeah. be hanging out there so we parse that and then we just take the ASTs and work with ASTs directly to do everything else so we we wrap it in in classes and and uh, all the encoding stuff uh, fully with ASTs and and that actually okay. is one of the reasons that. Uh, it's hard to work with a presentation compiler even because the presentation compiler doesn't really like that either. Um, but certainly metals yeah. and M tags want it to be a complete source file, I think. And that's, I think we'll mm. probably have to move in that direction. So maybe that will be a good time to, to uh, adopt metals instead. And thinking about trees, when you say it's converted to ASTs right away, is it uh, like the, 
like the compiler trees themselves, or do you have your own internal representation of trees that then you would allow you to like interact with other languages as well? Uh, or is it? Yeah, we're, uh, I'm talking about Scala trees. So uh, the way it works okay. is every interpreter, we call it in Polynote. So, it, you know, theoretically, there could be many different languages supported. Um, each one is kind mm -hmm. of responsible for how it deals with its own uh, source. Um, so for Scala cells, we're using Scala compiler trees, and we use the Scala compiler parser uh, to, to, to parse the, the cell into a tree and then uh, do a bunch of tree-based processing on it rather than string processing. So I think like the, I okay. think a lot of the other tools, they want everything to be a string. Even the, even the compiler, like I said, it wants everything to be a string. Uh, it wants all yeah. that, like the class that's wrapping it to be text somewhere in memory or in a file that it can look at. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and you mentioned mtags too, and I guess for people that aren't aware of it, and I'll put some links afterwards, because it is pretty interesting. And, and that's something that I think Metals does really well is it actually publishes a, a set of Java interfaces, like mtags interfaces they're called, and they define all of the functionality that at least in the LSP world that we use the presentation compiler for. So then whatever version of Scala you're using, it can just hit the interface from 2.11 all the way to 3. And then all of the wrappers around the actual presentation compiler that, that power all of the various things, are it's all dealt with inside of mtag. So it's published for every single version of Scala. Um, but yeah, I'm thinking about it in my head now. And I, I, I think a lot of the signatures actually, uh, they want the LSP signatures of like, what position in the file is this happening? And yeah, so once you, <laughs> unless you're able to somehow map all of the cell stuff to an actual somewhat representation of a file, it might be a little bit tricky yeah. to, to do yeah, that. Yeah, and I think we, we could do it um, that way. It's just not the way we did it from the beginning. Uh, so I think, you know, over time, we'll probably have to go in that direction. Yeah, and this question, I'm sure, is probably like driven by you know business value, I guess, especially if you have like large groups of people using this. But have have you explored what it would look like to support Scala three and and rewriting the stuff to use the the Dottie compiler, or is it sort of just you're not even nobody's even using Scala three where you're at that it that it wouldn't even be worth it right now? Yeah, so right now, uh, at least you know in my group, there wouldn't be anybody that would use Scala three. Uh, for any serious work. So I think uh, probably the investment is not really there to, to support Scala 3 right now. You know, at least, I mean, in the open source world, uh, I would welcome any assistance with that. Uh, I've looked into it a little bit. Like you said, it would be uh, a pretty fundamental rewrite of a lot of the internals because, uh, you know, the Scala 3 compiler, we have to use the compiler, obviously, to compile cells. Uh, and the Scala 3 compiler interface is very different. Um, so uh, it hmm. would be a fair amount of effort, I think, but certainly not insurmountable. Hmm. I, I, I hope to get there someday. Honestly, thinking about probably the effort that it would take to implement support for Scala 3, it might be somewhat similar of an effort to just piggyback on metals in, instead and then get it for free, basically. Right, yeah. So I, I, a lot of the might... stuff could probably be delegated to metals you know, if we change how we're uh, treating cells. Uh, or treating the code, um, mm -hmm. you know, but the, like the way we're encoding classes and everything, the, the, the way we run code, uh, the, the class loader hierarchy, everything like that, uh, is, is kind of polynote specific. So we would have to do some, you know, we'd still have to do some, uh, some work there. 
Yeah. Well, speaking of like polynote specific things, what are some of the other, would you say, like big differences between polynote and some of the other examples that we talked about earlier? Yeah. So uh, I think other than, uh, you know, trying to have nice completions and like nice editing experience, which I think uh, a lot of other notebooks are also doing now. So uh, polynote's not really Mm -hmm. unique there. Um, But you know, there's that and there's the, the polyglot aspect of it. Obviously, that's, you know, in the name of the tool. Um, so I think that's something that is different from other notebooks. And even, uh, uh, like, I've seen some, like, kernels for other notebooks that are like a Jupyter kernel that lets you plug in a bunch of polyglot languages and use them together. I think that looks a little bit different in, yeah. in Polynote. Uh just the way the languages interact with each other. Uh, But I think probably the biggest difference is how state is treated in Polynote. Um, So most notebook tools, this is kind of hard to explain uh, without a slideshow behind me, but most notebook tools, uh, the way (laughs) it works is very much like a REPL. So uh, I can put a cell up here and run it. I can put a cell down here and run it. Um, And then I can go back and change this cell and run it. Uh, and whatever, uh, cell I ran last basically defines the state of whatever I run next, wherever that happens to be. Uh, so you can end up with a really disjoint sort of scattered notebook that if you close that and open it again and try to run it from the top, uh, it will be, it'll be all kinds of broken because, you know, something relies on the fact that you ran this other cell down here first, uh, it can make it really hard to reproduce a notebook. So Polynote tries to make the notebook more reproducible uh, by uh, treating every cell as if it is a point in time, uh, you know, where only the cells above a cell can affect uh, what happens there. Uh, So I can't like go down and run a cell down here and change everything so that when I go up here and run it, it'll, uh, it'll use that state. It doesn't work that way in Polynote. Everything, okay. yeah, the, the state at a certain place is defined only by the cells up to that point, or less, at least theoretically. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, my uh, my brain thinks sometimes, I guess, in build targets. So, like, in build targets speak, would it be accurate? Because the, the first way that you explained it of, like, you know, whichever one you run last is sort of the one that defines the state uh, I, I guess I would have assumed that it was sort of almost like a, like a, like if you think of a normal Scala build and you have different build targets and you have this dependency chain of you know A relies on C and C relies on D. So if you, you know you trigger C, you're gonna potentially cascade compile everything up to that point. So n- notebooks don't don't work that way, I guess. Then right, if you have th- four different cells, you can't sort of randomly tell this one to rely on that one and that one to rely on that one and if you you know start the notebook fresh and click the one at the end it's not going to compile everything i'm assuming it doesn't right i think most notebooks don't work that way um i think there are a couple that do uh like observable might be might be one of those uh that's a javascript notebook and i think it kind of works in a reactive way like that um polynote's not quite as reactive as that it doesn't you know it's it's uh the, the dependency graph is sort of there, but it doesn't automatically go rerun stuff uh, because that's, uh, 
you know, a lot of a lot of times you'll you'll be you'll be talking about a Spark job that might t- might take two hours, and we don't want to automatically kick uh, off a Spark job uh, just to just to update <laughs> yeah. something. So. Okay. Well, you mentioned observable, and that's like a good way to segue to of something I wanted to ask you about because you said that that you think that's a JavaScript. Is that a JavaScript notebook? Is that uh, that's my or? impression of it? Yeah. Okay. Do do other ecosystems because like Polynote does have support for Scala and Python, I believe. Is there more support than for different languages than that, or are those the only two? Uh, those are the only two. You know, there's SQL support via Spark, basically, um, and okay. we have a, you know, we have like. 70% of a Java interpreter uh, floating around in a branch somewhere, okay. but uh, it hasn't hasn't reached the finish <laughs> okay. line. But theoretically, there could be more, yeah. Okay. Are, would you say that there's other language ecosystems that are sort of like inspirational in how they do notebooks or that you even use for inspiration as you started Polynote or, you know? Um, you know, not really. Uh, I think the, the inspiration just kind of came from the problems that we were having uh not really from any other uh any other ecosystem in particular uh, i think the mm-hmm. the another thing polynote has is like a live view of all the values you have defined so it shows you you know off to okay. the side uh, on the right side it shows you like a symbol table kind of at any point so you can click into yep. a cell and see what symbols are available to that cell basically and that was kind of inspired by, uh, I think, Octave or, you know, one of those similar uh, uh, mathematical analysis tools, um, which okay. does something similar to that. So then also, if it was sort of solely driven by, like, the business need, I guess you, you could say, like, have you also thought about just, like, stretch goals or other things that you wish it can do and and the reason i ask it is i remember when i checked uh chatted with alex archambault who is the person that's behind uh almond and he yeah he talked a little bit about how he really felt that like the notebook world had just like a ton of untapped p- potential compared to to other ecosystems like do you also feel like that and feel like there's a lot of other things that if you had the time or the people power to do that you, you would want to dive into and and if so what what are what are maybe a sub- couple of those examples oh absolutely there's so much more that it could do um you know if there if uh it's it's nobody's uh, it's nobody's job right now to work on it, so it doesn't get as much attention uh, as as it could. Although that's going to change soon, I think. But uh, yeah, there's so much more it could do. Uh, apart from adding more interpreters, I think it would be great to have uh, you know maybe R and Julia, uh, Java, Closure. Um, you know, it would be really cool to have more interpreter choices, but uh, also just you know the way you work with results could be uh, could be more straightforward. There could be more interesting things to do there. More interesting ways to to operate on on outputs. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a ton of stuff that could be done there. Okay. One of the things I found interesting listening to your talk was that you mentioned that you, before working on Polynote, that it had been a little while before you sort of like built an application from scratch and like really just spun up something. Uh, can you talk a little bit about just that experience of, of not doing that for a while and then diving back in and, and building something from scratch? Like the tech choices maybe that you use, the libraries, why you why you chose them, maybe some things that you were surprised about in the process? Sure, yeah. I mean... Uh... You know, in the sense of it's like 
a full stack application sort of thing to use a cliche. Yeah. But uh, I had been working mostly with data stuff uh, for for a few years before that. Um, so it was kind of, uh, yeah, I hadn't really jumped into a full stack Scala thing for a while. Um, and uh, yeah, the tools out there are amazing for that right now. Um, so when I, I, I mentioned that, you know, I was working on a PHP based CMS uh, way back when, uh, when I got into Scala mm -hmm. and what I, you know, once I did get into Scala, I kind of built from scratch, you know, a Scala based CMS um, to replace that. And uh, that was kind of a full stack thing. There weren't a lot of tools or I wasn't aware of a lot of tools. So I basically ended up probably reinventing like a crappy version of Finagle almost. Uh, and, uh, you know, template tools using the Scala's XML literals and, and things like that. Um, so uh, needless to say, there, there's a lot more out there now uh, for, for kickstarting an app. And, and to start Polynote, what I used was uh, Cat's Effect, HTTP4S, uh, FS2. And, it, you know, I had, I had a prototype rolling in like you know, a couple of hours with those tools, really amazing, uh, developer mm -hmm. experience there to, to bootstrap an app. And has the tech stack sort of stayed the same over that time or has it evolved as well and changed at all? No, it's, uh, so it moved to, uh, to Zio. And the reason is cat's effect is very, or at least at the time, I don't know if it's different now, but at the time cat's effect was very principled about cancellation uh, and cancellation is very mm -hmm. important and very unprincipled uh, in a notebook environment. So we have like a a big red button to cancel what's currently happening. When the user presses that, we really want to like go interrupt threads. We want to do whatever it takes to like stop that action. Uh, and I think Cat's Effect at the mm -hmm. time, there was no such thing as like, we're going to go interrupt a thread for you. It was like, you know, if you cancel at a cancellation boundary, that's fine, but that's all we're going to do. Uh, and so I had a bunch of hacks in there to work around that. Um, and Zio had a, had a cancellation model, which supported the semantics that I wanted basically, uh, out of the box. So that was kind of the, the motivation to, to, uh, to migrate to it. Okay. Okay. And you mentioned that, yeah, tools in general are, are really great for, for this right now. Apart from libraries, if I, what, is, what is your editor of choice? I love asking that question. I, um, I, I use IntelliJ. I love IntelliJ. I think it's a fantastic ah, okay. product. Uh, it's the, you know, what you can actually get for free with the community edition just boggles my mind how they can give yeah. that away. It's phenomenal. I, 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 I will go so far as to say, I don't know if I would be working with Scala today if I hadn't picked up IntelliJ at the beginning, uh, because it just was, it's oh, such wow. a great experience. Um, and it, you know, it just makes everything so much easier to me. Yeah, for sure. Especially when you're first getting, like I just had this conversation with somebody at work about when you're getting used to a new language, sometimes also having to do everything else and learn everything else. Like having as much editor support as possible is probably one of the most important things that you can, that you can yeah, think about. It's so, it's so great for that... discovery of, of APIs and even just, you know, the, the debugger is also really important just to be able to, you know, go in and click around and see what everything looks like, what, what data exists in memory and be able to look at that. It really helps, or at least for me, it really helped me kind of get a mental map of how, 
everything in the language works and how the runtime works. That's how I figured out how to use macros way back when, uh, you know, macro, the mm -hmm. macro system was very poorly documented or the APIs were, were kind of poorly documented. Um, but just by poking around in the debugger, I figured out how to sort of bend the, the metaprogramming system to my will a little bit. Yeah. One thing I, I find interesting too, is that Polyno started internally because it was a business sort of need or like a need from your colleagues that they needed better support for this. Uh, and then you open sourced it. So yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that process about like how, like how did, how did Netflix say, yes, open source this? Like how, how was it not just contained within, within your company? So I, I actually started it as a side project, not a, not a Netflix project. So I, uh, I was working on it, you know, in my spare time, uh, and it's, it was open source from the very beginning. So, uh, okay. yeah, there wasn't really a process to open source it cause it already kind of was open sourced. Um, really, really what <laughs> happened is, uh, you know, I had been, I had this prototype hacked together. I, I don't want to say barely working because that's probably how I describe Polynote right now, but this was just like early, early prototype, um, uh, just like a proof of concept. And I sent it to a, a couple of people and it kind of just like spread organically. Like people started using it um, sort of organically. Yeah. And, you know, once there was a fair number of scientists actually using this for, for work, uh, uh, Faisal, the director of machine learning platform decided uh, that we could take a bet on uh, actually you know, funding this with some time from from our own employees, like work time, uh, and see if it could mm -hmm. really pay off in terms of getting something really uh, useful. And and that's when you know we got it, it, the team grew from me to me plus one one other guy, Jonathan, uh, and uh, yeah, and 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 that that's the point at which we you know made a a blog post about it and. Uh, uh, you know, we, we gave it a little work and then we made a blog post about it, which makes it feel like it was a Netflix project. Um, but uh, yeah. it's it, it was open source from the beginning, really. It wasn't just all of a sudden open sourced. Sure. And you mentioned the blog post, and that was something, too, I thought was interesting reading about about how sometimes the, the announcement that you made <laughs> had a bunch of funny headlines of uh, other, like, I don't know, a bunch of random places, uh blogged about it or wrote about it and they called it things like the databricks killer yeah know, a whole bunch of random <laughs> stuff like that like what did you i guess like what did you learn about release notes through that process or, or announcements yeah like yeah it was the, so you know i i didn't anticipate really how big of a deal it is to post something on like the netflix tech blog it's uh there's mm -hmm. a lot of media outlets watching that tech blog uh and I guess what I learned is uh, that you can't really control the narrative. You know, it's like our, our blog post was very matter of fact. I don't think it made any wild claims. The blog post certainly didn't say we're out to get Databricks or something like that, you know, uh, which is definitely mm -hmm. not the case. Um, but, you know, people want clicks on their blogs and so they'll make up uh, outrageous headlines. Uh, and, yeah, I, I guess what I learned is you can't really expect to control that narrative. It's gonna, it's gonna take on its own sort of life. Um, but hopefully, yeah. you know, people will take all those things with a grain of salt, or at least the people whose opinions matter will, 
you know, at least go read firsthand the blog post itself uh, before jumping to any conclusions about what our, you know, what our goals are with the, with regards to Databricks yeah. and stuff like that. Okay. So because they did give it time, I'm assuming that sort of internally it is it is deemed a success more, more or less then? Like, the, do they view it that way? They're like, yes, this was worth it. Yeah, or I, is that why there's not a ton of time being spent on it right now? Because it wasn't worth it. No, yeah. I, I think it, it's, uh, it is sort of a success. I think a lot of people still use it. Um, it's still considered, mm -hmm. uh, you know, part of our uh, toolkit. Um, I think the reason it's not being worked on as much right now is it suffers from uh, being good enough, kind of, uh, where, you know, there's no major pain points that people have. It kind of all the the features that at least our scientists really need to uh, to do their work are kind of there. Um, so it's, yeah. uh, you know, that's that, you know, if, if a tool is really good, the people will put effort into it to keep it really good. And if it's not that good, it needs work. People will put effort into it, you know, to get it to where it needs to be. But if it's kind of just good enough, yeah. then it's easy to let it uh, let it ride a little bit. So I think that's that's been happening somewhat. Uh, although I, I think it's going to turn around a little bit. We're going to get a little more time to work on it uh, pretty soon. So that'll that'll be exciting. Okay. And because it is an open source project too, like another th thing I thought about was that it may be trickier almost to get a lot of open source contributions to it, especially if it is a tool that's not necessarily aimed at like the mass amount of people that are doing programming. Like sometimes, or I'm, I'm not mass amount of people doing programming, mass amount of people doing like your typical Scala development that's not data science, I guess you could say, where sometimes when you do think of things like Cat's Effect or Z or these other things that have like a ton of users and like a ton of different the industries using them, like it's, you often end up working on things that you have pain points with or things that you're interested in. So like you just automatically have a much larger contributor pool. Whereas something like Polynote, I have a feeling that that contributor pool is probably like quite a bit smaller as well have you like had a lot of contributions from the community or has that been a, a challenge to also get it's uh, we have had some community interest and some contributions um it's uh you know not as much surely as uh, a more general project or a more popular thing um but we have had some people mm -hmm. come in and, and make contributions uh that have been really helpful actually i mean i would love to see more of that uh we are, yeah. you know, we're always, well, not always, but we're often on Gitter. Uh, if anybody wants to come and chat about uh, working on Polynote, uh, it's always welcome. Cool. Well, I think that's all the questions I have for you about it. So, But I just wanted to thank you for the time that you spent chatting with me about this today. Thanks for your work on Polynote. I'm sure a lot of the people that use it greatly appreciate it. And yeah, just thank you no, for No, thank time. you. It was a pleasure. <laughs>